1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays
2: at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Investors bracing for the busiest week of earnings season as the markets look for more fuel to hit fresh record highs. Breaking news out of the Biden administration as we get new details of the latest executive orders from the president targeting American workers. We are live in Washington with the latest there. The head of the CDC issuing a stark warning on the federal government's grasp of the COVID vaccine rollout, saying it's unclear how much of the vaccine there actually is. And as we mentioned, a big week for earnings reports with big technology in focus as new questions mount of the potential hurdles for their stock's continued climb. And Super Bowl 55 is set after a pair of grueling conference championship games. Tom Brady is back in the Super Bowl with another team. It's Monday, January 25th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good Monday morning. I am Dominic Chu in today for Brian Sullivan. And we start this morning with those victories by the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Both teams are heading to the Super Bowl after winning their respective conference championship games yesterday. We will have more on those highlights coming up. But a big dueling battle coming up. Patrick Mahomes, a new age quarterback. Versus the slow, the steady, Tom Brady. We'll check out how those games pan out later on in the show. Well, here's how your money and the global markets are setting their day up. Stock futures right now pointing to what we'll call a very flat open. Look at there. The Dow Jones implied higher by just five points. The S&P about 10 and the Nasdaq higher by 128. The Nasdaq assuming that leadership role in the markets in 2021 after taking a back seat for the final quarter of 2020. Now, this after another record-setting week for the markets, the Dow, the laggard among those major indexes, only climbing a half a percent, as you can see here. The S&P and Russell 2000 small cap index, meanwhile, jumping roughly 2%. The Nasdaq surged more than 4% as shares of those big technology stocks push the index to a new all-time high. And speaking of big technology, it will be a very big focus for investors this week, as you can see, as they prepare for the busiest week of earnings season. We've got 13 Dow components and some 111 approximately S&P 500 companies that are set to report results, including Apple, Facebook, Netflix, Microsoft, Tesla, McDonald's, Honeywell, Caterpillar, Boeing, you get the idea. Now, according to data from Bank of America, of the S and P 500 components that have already reported earnings, 73% have beaten on both their revenue and profit lines. So that's a trend to watch. Also, let's check out what's happening now with the price of Bitcoin. You can see there 32,980, just a hair off that 33,000 mark on the Coinbase platform. Over the last month, up 35%. But everybody remembers the moves that we've seen. Off of those record highs that were above 40,000 at one point. So Bitcoin prices still in focus. Some marginal upside today. Now, take a look at the continued struggle by crypto. This comes as strategists of JP Morgan warn the march back to record levels may face an uphill battle in light of decreasing demand from Grayscale. The most prominent digital asset manager right now in the world. So keep an eye on those trends. Coming up, we'll highlight another crypto once again that's hitting record highs, even though Bitcoin is coming off of its. Let's now go worldwide. Stocks in Asia kicking off the new trading week off on a positive note, as you can see. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong and the Kospi in South Korea leading gains in the region, both climbing more than 2%. Investors in Asia and around the world are watching comments from Chinese President Xi Jinping on his keynote address at the World Economic Forum. Meanwhile, taking a look at the early trade in Europe as well, we have seen a bit of a pullback from the positivity we saw earlier on. Right now, you can see the German DAX just about flat, but the FTSE 100 and the CAC in France both down roughly a quarter to one third of one percent. Now to some of your morning's top stories here. The director of the CDC is warning the federal government does not know how much COVID-19 vaccine this country actually has. In an interview just yesterday, Dr. Rochelle Walensky said the lack of knowledge of vaccine supply stems from the challenges the Biden administration was left with a dig at the Trump administration's refusal to cooperate with the transition process. Now, Walensky added that the expected introduction of Johnson & Johnson's vaccine will also help ease some of those supply concerns and problems. Now, TikTok's biggest rival is looking to go public in what could be one of tech's biggest stock offerings Since Uber's IPO, Kwai Technology, this is a live streaming and short video app backed by Tencent, could raise as much as $6.3 billion when shares are priced Friday in Hong Kong. The stock is expected to begin trading sometime in early February. And Facebook and Amazon apparently not afraid to open their wallets, at least when it comes to influencing decision making in Washington, D.C., According to the Wall Street Journal, the two companies topped all the other U.S. firms in their federal lobbying spend last year. The journal says Facebook spent $20 million. That's up 18 percent from the year prior, while Amazon spent about $18 million. That's up 11 percent from 2019. The moves come amid the new administration and increasing scrutiny from Congress on the regulation of big technology companies. Well, now to new details just crossing on President Biden's latest executive order action. The president will sign the order being called Biden's Buy American Plan, directing agencies to strengthen requirements so that they acquire goods and services from American businesses and workers. The president has previously pledged to make a $400 billion investment during his first term in federal purchases of products made by American workers and to tighten loopholes and waivers that allowed federal agencies to buy products produced overseas, among some other actions. The move comes as President Biden kicks off his second week in office with plenty to do on his list. For more on all the action out of Washington, NBC News' Tracy Potts joins us now with the latest there. Good Monday morning, Tracy.
3: Hey, Dom. Good Monday morning to you. So President Biden wants people to only buy American and only fly to America if they are safe from the covid virus and its latest variants that have been discovered overseas. And today he's signing off on new travel orders to back that up. There's a new strain of COVID in South Africa, and non-U.S. citizens who travel there will not be allowed in the U.S. Under new restrictions, President Biden plans to sign today. He's also blocking visitors from Brazil and much of Europe, including the U.K., where there's another new version of the virus.
1: The best way to prevent the further evolution of these mutants is to vaccinate as many people as possible the Biden team is efforting
3: 100 million shots in 100 days. They claim the Trump administration
4: left no plan. We need more vaccine. We need more vaccinators. We need more vaccination sites.
3: President Biden spent more than an hour on the phone Sunday with eight Senate Republicans and eight Democrats talking COVID relief. He's hoping to make progress before former President Trump's impeachment trial starts February
1: 8th. It will be a fair trial, but it will move relatively quickly.
3: Lawmakers debating whether or trying a former president is constitutional.
1: I think the trial is stupid. Uh, I think it's counterproductive. We already have a flaming fire in this country, and it's like taking a bunch of gasoline and pouring it on top of the fire.
3: The formal charge of inciting an insurrection due to arrive in the Senate tonight. And uh, the president has hired a lawyer out of South Carolina to represent him. Uh, the House managers say they are ready to present their case. Dom.
2: NBC News is Tracy Potts live in Washington with the latest there. Thank you very much. Back to the markets now and what could be a major gut check for investors as three major events are happening this week. First, it is the busiest week of earnings season with nearly 120 companies reporting. And 60% of those are on Wednesday and Thursday. Big week there, big days. Second, the Fed holds its first policy meeting of the new year, kicking off tomorrow with the decision and news conference by Fed Chair Jay Powell that happens on Wednesday afternoon. Third, we get a report card on the state of the U.S. economy and whether it is recovering or stalling out amid the virus pandemic when the initial read on fourth quarter gross domestic product comes out on Thursday. Let's welcome in now Gina Sanchez, CEO of Chantico Global. She is also a CNBC contributor. Gina, the markets are at or near record highs. Is there anything that can take this market down? Even with a surge in COVID, we continue to march
0: higher.
5: You're absolutely right. And I think of the three things that you mentioned, I think the last item, which is the scorecard, the GDP for Q4, is really going to be where all eyes are going to be. Um, even given the, the number of earnings uh, results that we're gonna get this year, I mean, this week. And so the reason I say the GDP is important is because we are going to likely see continuing acceleration, but uh, a slowdown. So we're recovering, but we're recovering at a much slower pace In fact, there were a number of troubling indicators um, in December um, that basically showed us going into negative payrolls for the first time since April, slowing in consumption, um, and a number of items that we have to keep an eye on uh, because I do think that, that that is the one thing that could spook the markets.
2: What's, Gina, is the biggest worry that you have? We know that the markets are not the economy and the economy, not the markets. But there's a huge disconnect and one that's been looking like it's been widening since the virus pandemic lows. What's the biggest disconnect between the markets right now and what the economy could be telling us?
5: Well, the markets continue to price as though the pandemic is going to be, number one, temporary, and number two, still fairly quick, even at this sort of intermediate 18-month kind of time span. And if we start to see continued slowdowns, if we have any trouble rolling out with the vaccine, the markets just are not priced for that. They're priced for us to smoothly get through the next six months and start to reopen. If we're not reopening by the summertime, the markets, I don't think, are really kind of priced to to continue to bear the, the multiples that they continue to bear because we've seen earnings numbers drop, even though we've, we've seen them do reasonably well and they've beat expectations, they've still dropped dramatically. Um, but multiples have not changed dramatically. In fact, in many cases, multiples have continued to expand as though this is all going to be a bad dream. And we have yet to get beyond pre-pandemic economic levels.
2: All right. We, we know that the Folks in Washington, D.C., on the congressional side, are working towards getting a massive fiscal stimulus done. We know that the policymakers out of the Federal Reserve will keep monetary policy accommodative for the near and probably long-term future. With all that being said, are there still opportunities in the marketplace to be long in this environment if we know that all the positivity is already going to be there?
5: Well, look, just because the markets are extremely overpriced doesn't mean that everything's overpriced equally. In fact, there are a lot of opportunities still floating around. Um, but this is going to be a stock picker's year. In fact, if you look at most expectations uh, for the S&P for the year, they're largely expecting flat to up to two, up 2% uh, for the markets. However, I think that that is going to portent a lot of volatility, and it's also going to be a very much a stock picker's market this year.
2: All right. Gina Sanchez at Chantico Global, thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, the cryptocurrency hitting new all-time highs amid Bitcoin's continued struggles, plus President Biden and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson taking part in their first joint phone call together. We'll go to London for the breakdown on what the two leaders discussed and a record-breaking launch for SpaceX amid its continued push into the commercial space business. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. Welcome back now. Now to President Biden's first weekend in office taking part in his first call with his British counterpart, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. The two men touching a number of key issues between the two longtime allies. CNBC's Juliana Tattlebaum has more from London. Good morning, Juliana.
7: Dom, good morning. So UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and President Joe Biden spoke for the first time since Biden's inauguration on Saturday. A picture of the British Prime Minister on the call giving his thumbs up with his sleeves rolled up has been making the rounds in the British press. A spokesman for the prime minister said he warmly welcomed the president's decision to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement and the World Health Organization. The two leaders also talked about the benefits of a potential free trade deal between the UK and the US. And according to a press release from the White House, Biden also conveyed his intention to strengthen the special relationship between our countries and revitalize transatlantic ties, underscoring the role of NATO to our collective defense and shared values. Now, the British prime minister tweeted that he looks forward to deepening the longstanding alliance between the two countries. Dom.
2: Yana, I'm also curious there, you you know that there is a lot of similarity and perhaps differences between the UK response and the U.S. response to the covid pandemic. Can you take us through the latest there on what exactly is happening with lockdowns and protocols in place to help stop the spread of the covid vaccine or stop the spread of the covid virus amid the vaccine rollout?
7: So, Dom, here in the U.K., we are still under a national lockdown. The vaccination program has been going well, gaining pace in recent weeks, but we are still heavily restricted. And over the weekend, the narrative has begun to slightly shift. There's a lot of concern now around the U.K. variant. It has. There is some evidence that it is associated with higher mortality. The U.K. government told the public this on Friday night. So over the weekend, a lot of reports and concerns swirling around the implications of a potentially deadlier uh, strain in this new UK variant. So a lot of concern that this may mean it will take longer to lift restrictions, even as the vaccine rollout gets underway. Don? All
2: right. CNBC's Julietta tattlebaum live in the UK with the latest there. Thank you very much for that. Still to come on the show, big tech earnings on deck for investors this week amid continued concerns about new regulations for that big sector. We lay out those potential hurdles coming up next. Welcome back. There's a lot of highlights in the crypto market these days, mostly associated with Bitcoin. We want to show you what's happening right now with another big cryptocurrency, the second biggest one out there. And that's Ethereum Ether on the Coinbase platform, currently holding just a little below the 1400 mark. The reason why it's important is in the last 24 hours, this cryptocurrency surged to record levels. 1454 was that level, depending on which platform you look at. But thereabouts is the new record high for this particular cryptocurrency. So keep an eye on Ether. Also taking a look at the share iShares MSCI Emerging Markets ETF right now. It's been one of the better performers since the pandemic lows. If you look at the Russell 2000 versus the S&P 500, they've all been up higher here. Now, talk about the emerging markets. They've actually outperformed The S&P 500 since the pandemic lows, you can see there that move higher in the last three months, up 22 percent. A key focus for many investors is the catch up trade that emerging markets have performed over the last several months here. And then finally, take a look at the iShares, iBox, high yield corporate bond ETF. It's a mouthful. The ticker is HYG, but it's seen by many investors as a proxy for the junk bond or high yield debt market. The reason why it's important is over the last few months, you've seen a steady uptrend In some of those particular moves in high-yield corporate bonds, it's an indicator perhaps that when credit quality and credit conditions start to worsen, these types of ETFs will fall. So if people are looking for a reason to stay somewhat optimistic on a big Fed week, high-yield bonds not yet signaling any kind of real stress in the credit markets. Well, let's check on this morning's other top headlines as well. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Monday morning, Francis
8: morning to you. We start with a dramatic rescue in China. A mine collapsed after an explosion two weeks ago, trapping crews 2,000 feet underground. 11 of 22 people were saved. Officials say it could take weeks to reach the rest of the group. With the latest COVID numbers surging, we may be through the holiday surge. Our Los Angeles affiliate KNBC is reporting that Governor Gavin Newsom is expected to lift California's stay-at-home order today. That's according to a letter sent to the California Restaurant Association. The governor's office told KNBC there are promising signs that California is emerging from the most intense stage of the pandemic, and a formal update will come this morning. The Chiefs had a slow start against the Bills in the AFC Championship, but once Patrick Mahomes warmed up, it was over. Kansas City won at 38 to 24. And for the first time ever, Tom Brady is a champ in the NFC. Brady and the Buccaneers knocked off the Packers 31 to 26. The Bucs and Chiefs will face off in Super Bowl 55. And more than 7,500 vaccinated healthcare professionals will be in the stands to watch all the action. Commissioner Roger Goodell gifted those tickets to doctors and nurses himself, and he did it over Zoom, so great to see the reaction with that. But great to have Tampa Bay, you know, hosting the Super Bowl and having their hometown team right there, too,
2: Dom. he had any doubts, if anyone had any doubts, that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all mm-hmm. time. I grew up a Niners fan in the Montana era. I still hold dear that he was the best, but this performance by Tom Brady on a new team this year, going to the Super Bowl again, is massive. You got to give props to those guys for sure,
8: 100. percent. And the coolest thing, though, after it was all done, after he wore, won and gave you know the other team like all the hugs and, and high fives, he went to the stands and asked to see. He's like, "Hey, asking permission. Can I can I just talk to my son? Can I see my son?" It was the coolest little part there.
2: Absolutely, class act. A total family man for sure. Francis Rivera, thank you very mm-hmm. much for that. Still on deck for the show. President Biden kicking off his second week in office with another wave of executive orders, EOs. We will lay out the actions he's taking and break down how his agenda could impact your money and the global economy. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Good Monday morning. Futures pointing to a higher open right now as Wall Street prepares for the busiest week of earnings season. Washington on watch here. President Biden set to sign an executive order today focused on U.S. manufacturing. And liftoff. Elon Musk's SpaceX launches a rocket and sets a new global record in the process. It's Monday, January 25th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange and Rockets right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan this morning. And here's how your money and investments are looking as we are halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern Time hour. Stock futures right now pointing to some solid gains, especially when it comes to the NASDAQ, implied higher by roughly 131 points. Meanwhile, the Dow is lagging just about flat up 12 points with the S&P up 11, heading into the busiest week of earnings season. And by the way, check out shares right now of GameStop surging again this morning. Take a look at this one. Huge. It's huge. 390 percent gains on a year to date basis. Yes, your eyes are not deceiving you. That's just since the end of 2020. Up another some 40, 38, 40 percent in the pre-market trade here as well. A lot of investors and analysts pointing to what some call a short squeeze, or covering purchasing of these shares to close out losing positions betting against this particular stock. It may not last long term. Still, though, a 373 percent gain in just about three weeks time. Now on to other technology. Jeff Bezos and Mark Benioff, Lorian Powell, Jobs and Hank Paulson are among the list of well-known people signing an open letter to President Biden on climate change. The letter published in The New York Times reads in part, quote, You can be remembered as the climate president who led humanity away from the cliff's edge. Also saying, quote, while the climate crisis presents incredible challenges, it is also the greatest economic opportunity for innovation, job creation, new business and investment in our communities. Others, by the way, signing the letter include business leaders, actors and activists as well. So a big letter there from a lot of high profile people. For more on President Biden's first few days in office and what we can expect with his economic agenda, I'm now joined by Tony Fratto, Hamilton Place Strategies founder, partner, founding partner, and also CNBC contributor. Also, Stephanie Kelly, Aberdeen Standard Investments senior political economist. Thank you both for being here right now. Stephanie, let's start with you. Has there been anything that has really surprised you about the first week and a half or so of President Biden's administration?
9: Actually, in some ways, it's been kind of what was promised, which is a real kind of hit the ground running, very focused on domestic agenda, very much focused on reintegrating with political multilateralism, but economic focus very much at home trying to get this COVID stimulus done. And I think even the reactions we've seen so far in terms of the bipartisan pushback to the 1.9 trillion, it's kind of so far so expected.
2: You are a current insider, Tony, and a former administration official how exactly would you be tackling the first couple of weeks in office for any president? What are the type of things that they should be focusing on? And is the current Biden team focusing on the right ones?
4: It seems like a Dominic. I mean, I think I'd be advising them to do pretty much what they're doing. They recognized that the biggest problem they have is not just the actions they're taking on, uh, on COVID, uh, which they are taking actions, but getting the, the unified focus on, uh, on COVID. They know that the pandemic is the key for them to get through this First year to show competence on it and show a you know try to show a stark distinction with uh, with the previous administration, but also that that unlocks this economy. You know, if you know, there's been a lot of chatter about whether the hundred million uh, uh, vaccinations in 100 days is uh, ambitious enough. If they carry it off, I think they're going to exceed it, and I think this economy is going to look very different uh, when we get into this summer. Uh, because of that, they're also going to earn marks from confidence on it. They're also then focusing on the economic plan, economic support. This is the first time, I think, in a while that we really feel like, you know, we have the we have monetary policy policy support with their, you know, Jay Powell's hands on the oars. Fiscal support is going to be there and and help on the uh, on the health side. So there's a lot to for this government to do. It's a, you know, starting off an administration is pretty, is pretty challenging. Um, But they they have a lot of experienced people. and They seem to be running right now. All All right. Tony, Stephanie, I want to add
2: some more context to what's what we're talking about right now. President Biden is set to sign another executive order today, this time focused on the American manufacturing environment. Let's bring in now Kayla Tausche with more on what we can expect there. Good morning, Kayla.
6: Good morning, Don. President Biden has signed more than two dozen executive orders so far. Today is set to bring one more, tightening rules for domestic manufacturing where American government contracts are concerned. Uh, the administration says that it applies to some $600 billion in government business, refining what qualifies as American-made and reducing the number of exceptions made through waivers. It creates a new role at the Office of Management and Budget to oversee the effort and a website where small businesses can scope out these contracts to see if they're better suited than the company that's currently uh, bidding or has already won the contract. It's an issue that the Trump administration also targeted with executive action at least three times over the last four years. When asked how this action is different, Biden administration officials said it will close loopholes left open by the Trump orders, even as they raise the threshold of domestic content requirements. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, in a call with Biden on Friday, raised concerns about the impact of the new policies on bilateral trading and the intertwined supply chains between the two countries. Biden, according to the foreign affairs minister, said only that there would be no unintended consequences between that relationship. Over the weekend, he also held calls with the leaders of Mexico, U.K. and France, pledging cooperation, multilateral engagement. Uh, But, Dom, you also have to imagine they uh, discussed a new uh, travel ban, some new restrictions that Biden is going to reinstate starting today on travel into the United States from the U.K., Europe and Brazil, as well as non-U.S. citizens who recently traveled to South
7: Africa.
2: So, so Kayla, can you break down for us? it, It feels like deja vu, even though I know that there's nuance here. But it seems as though the American manufacturing executive order seems to further stuff that happened during the Trump administration. What else can we expect from the incoming or the new Biden administration that will be similar to what President Trump did during his final few months in office as well?
6: Well, I think a lot of the trade and manufacturing policy is going to be quite similar. One of the things you saw the Trump administration do on the way out, specifically, uh, was to try to crack down even further on China, to put more companies on the entity list, threaten more action, because they knew that one thing that the Biden administration would not want to do from the outset was to appear weak on China and to immediately come into office and reverse some of these actions. To be sure, uh, President Biden has said and many of his economic officials have said that the policy on China was actually uh, a pretty good move in that reversing those tariffs was not going to happen right away, that it would be studied pretty closely. So I think a focus on domestic manufacturing, job creation here in the U.S., and uh, perhaps tightening the screws on some adversaries overseas, a lot of that could be very similar, even as we see uh, this approach to engaging allies in that effort uh, quite different. Dom?
2: All right. Kayla Tausch with the latest there from the Biden administration. Thank you very much for that report. Now, let's get back to our guests here. Stephanie and Tony, you heard Kayla's report just now. It seems like a no brainer, Stephanie, that you would focus as President Biden on some of the wins that President Trump had, like on trade, like on China, like on big technology. What exactly will the Biden administration look like in terms of its policy decisions when it comes to things like trade?
9: I think this is where it's, it's really important to distinguish between political multilateralism, which we've seen Biden already do quite a lot of, signing back up to the Paris Agreement, signing back up to the World Health Organization, those kinds of actions, engaging with allies. That's different to economic multilateralism, which Biden has, has kind of openly said that he's, he's not really an economic multilateralist. He, do, he's not, he wants to sell this made in America, domestic manufacturing creation agenda. What that means for trade policy, I think, is that Well, the tone might feel different, right? We're not expecting to have sudden tweets with new tariffs come in. But for investors, that should create a slightly less volatile environment. But it doesn't mean a more positive U.S.-China trade environment. If anything, I think we'll continue to see tensions ratchet up and those non-tariff barriers continue to rise through this administration, maybe more so linked to things like human rights than to bilateral um, trade deficits. But the same kind of reality exists, which is that the U.S. and China are on a path of strategic rivalry, not strategic allyship. And I think that's not going to change for investors. And I think that is widely recognized we just might have a slightly smoother path as opposed to the volatile kind of Twitter approach that we had for the last four years.
2: Tony, Tony, I wonder now, with with your clients, what, what exactly are they asking you about what type of volatility we could see, given what we've seen right now with regard to perhaps policy tip of hands, so to speak, in the Biden administration? Should we expect the same kind of volatility that we saw during the Trump administration?
4: No, no, we won't. We won't see those kinds of things. At Stephanie's point, where you know we won't be you know punching our allies in the face as we go about some of these policies. But as both Stephanie, and Kayla, both noted, these are a lot of the policies. Policies are very much the same. This These Buy America provisions um, are going to be concerning to our uh, to our allies, and so my clients. Don't like to see that. They don't like to see that. You know this kind of sort of uh, you know populist protectionism in policy. Even though the tone is going to be very different, we're not going to see that. You know the the volatility and how policies are made. Where there's going to be a lot more process and expectation uh, behind it. But the policy uh, end game uh, is you know is going to be uh, is not, is not going to hew too far from the Trump administration on some of these big cross border. Uh, issues. Uh, But process makes people happier. They can plan for it. They can prepare for it. They know it's coming. They can provide information to try to uh, mitigate the direction of some policies.
2: Now, uh, Stephanie, really quickly here, just a couple of moments left. What's the biggest risk you see in the next few months for the Biden administration?
9: I think the biggest challenge they've got to face is just the fact that, yes, there is a Democrat majority in the Senate, but it is narrow, right? They can't lose anybody. That means you have to have Joe Manchin on side and you have to have Bernie Sanders on side. And those are two politicians with very different views about how fiscal policy should go. Now, I think they'll get there. I think ultimately Joe Manchin will fall in line and you will ultimately get a COVID support bill. And later in the year, another kind of net fiscal boost. But the process to get there might get a little bit ugly.
2: All right. Tony Frado, Stephanie Kelly, thank you both for being with us here on this morning and the Biden administration and those insights there. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, a big, big tech, a big focus here for investors this week. We've got Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Netflix, Tesla, among others, set to post quarterly results in the coming days. We've got a big week of earnings coming up ahead. We'll get you ready coming up next. But first, as we head to break, some other top headlines today. China overtaking the United States as the world's number one destination for foreign direct investment, or FDI, flows into the US nearly halved last year, hurt by the COVID pandemic. NCR is reportedly nearing a deal to buy ATM operator Cardtronics for 39 bucks a share, roughly $1.7 billion. NCR, or the old National Cash Register, is outbidding two investment firms who had previously agreed to buy Cardtronics for $35 a share, but declined to raise their offer. And SpaceX launching a record, record, 143 satellites on a Falcon 9 rocket this past weekend. This is the company's first mission that had payloads from multiple customers on board one particular mission. Stay tuned, Worldwide Exchange, We'll we'll be back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As we have been discussing, this week will be a big one for earnings reports, especially for big technology companies. Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, and Tesla are among those companies reporting their results. For more on what to expect, I'm now joined by Jason Ware, Partner and Chief Investment Officer at Albion Financial Group. That is a big, big list, Jason, of big, big catalysts. What exactly is going to be top of focus for you on this big week of earnings?
0: Good morning, Dom. And as you noted, about 35 to 40% of the S&P market cap is reporting this week, and a lot of that is in technology. Of course, Microsoft and Apple are going to be two that are on our list of importance, given A, we own them for clients, and B, just given the weight that they carry in the index. And we expect a good report from both companies, you know, I think for Microsoft Azure, of course, is going to be in focus for investors and the growth there. I think if they do something north of 40 percent, that'll probably satisfy investors. And the stock has consolidated for the better part of the last four or five months. So it's not overextended here. So if we get a good number out of Azure and if we see some of those new products from Xbox tick up, that might be a, a, a good sign for investors. And of course, on Apple uh iPhone 12 is going to be the big story. A holiday quarter is really important for Apple, so we're going to see what the take up for iPhone 12 was. Our expectation has been that we're in a new super cycle for the iPhone, probably bigger than what we saw with the 6 given 5G and the upgraded camera, etc, four different uh iPhones in that lineup. Services will also be very important. See how many subscriptions we get there. And wearables category for growth. So uh, we're we're pretty optimistic that we're going to see some good numbers from these tech companies this week.
2: I mean, Jason, we're showing a chart of Apple right now. It shows that in the last year, the past 12 months, Apple is up almost 80% during that time span. How does a company the size of Apple go up 80% in one year? Is it fundamentals driven or is it just the idea that investor demand for Apple stock is just through the roof these days?
0: It's a great question. And I think it's a little bit of both. We've had multiple expansion in technology. We've had multiple expansion at Apple. We've had fundamentals going up because clearly we've seen some new services rolled out at Apple that I think investors are excited about. Their wearables category is growing at 25, 30 percent, is becoming a bigger part of their business. Uh, They're rolling out new products within that category that investors are excited about. And of course, again, we have that big, uh, what we consider to be a super cycle in uh, the 5G iPhone 12 coming. So all of those things have resulted in increased investor excitement. Meanwhile, there's been a tailwind for the fundamentals. And we're actually probably going to see... Uh, 15 to 20 percent revenue growth this year for Apple uh, and a little better than that on the earnings line. So uh, certainly some fundamentals going up, but also multiple expansion, to be sure.
2: Some of these communication services companies and, and big technology companies have been underperformers in the shorter to medium term. We've seen a bit of that trend reverse itself in the early weeks of 2021. Do you believe that this earnings season will be a positive catalyst for big technology and media companies or will it be a reason to take profits?
0: Uh, hard to say over the short term, always, you know, what's going to happen with these stocks or any stock, to be honest. But, you know, I think the setup looks good. And I think that's that's something that investors could take solace in. And what I mean by that is, again, we've had, you know, four, depending on which tech stock you're talking about, we've had four to six months of a fair amount of consolidation. And it's been healthy consolidation. These stocks haven't broken down. So if you look at them technically, if you look at the charts, they're holding in fairly well. These are typically good entry points for long term investors into these big technology companies. What that tells us is that expectations aren't overdone right here. These aren't overcooked. And if they come out with some pretty good numbers, This quarter, I think that provides a new setup for these stocks to move higher. Now, Apple is already moving higher. You know, it's it's working through that channel, it's working through that base, and it's kind of broken out. But some of these other ones are still uh, in that sidelong pattern. And you know, Amazon next week, Alphabet next week. If we see those, uh, if we see those uh, companies report some some really good results, then I think uh, you know, given the expectations, which is everyone's going into value and cyclicals, and tech is not going to work for a while, that seems to be the consensus on Wall Street. I think there's the potential for some upside surprises here and for these stocks to work over the near term.
2: All right. Positivity on big tech and communication services. from Jason Ware at Albion Financial. Thank you very much. Always great to get your thoughts, sir. Sure. Thank you. Coming up on the show, what all these big tech reports could mean for the broader markets this week. You just heard Jason mention them. Almost half of the S&P market cap reports this week. And if you haven't already, by the way, subscribe to our new podcast, Worldwide Exchange, every day in audio format. If you miss us here on the television, check us out on Apple or Spotify or whatever your podcast app of choice is. Worldwide Exchange Podcast. We'll be right back. Back to Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now pointed to some solid gains at the opening bell, especially when it comes to the Nasdaq. You can see there implied higher by 131 points. The s implied higher by roughly 12 points in the Dow underperforming, only up 29 at the open with these futures markets staying the way that they are right now into the opening bell. Joining me now is Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. Equity Strategy for RBC Capital Markets. Lori, great to have you here. First of all, congratulations, because as your research (laughs) note points out, you are fresh back from maternity leave. Let me just ask right now, how is everything going on that front as a parent?
10: Everything's going as well as can be expected. The baby's sleeping 11, 12 hours a night. You can't ask much more than that. I hope we all sleep as well this year.
2: I, I hope we do, too. Now, now I, I'm looking here because you call 2021 a year of resilience, recovery and realignment. You've thrown right now a newly issued 4,100 price target on the S&P 500. That's a 9 percent gain. What's driving that bit of action here and why the positivity?
10: So, look, we think the path to economic recovery remains intact. We do think it's going to be choppy. We think there are some potholes. We're in the middle of a big one now, frankly. Um, But we do think that the wobbles we're going to see in some of the short-term economic indicators, things like restaurant bookings, are not going to do things like signal that we're coming into a double-dip recession. Generally, we think the market is going to continue to be very forward looking. Now, all that being said, we do think there's risk of a bit of a pullback. It could be mild 5 percent. It could be deeper 15 percent. But we would be by on that weakness.
2: Now, buyers on that weakness. What exactly would drive that kind of weakness here? Is this a market where the fundamentals are still healthily constructive and, and that they're just kind of healthy gyrations in the market? Or is there something that could drive a larger pullback in the market overall?
10: So I think one thing that we've noticed is that if you go back to 2018, we had very crowded conditions, very expensive valuations from a bottom up stock level perspective. And there was a lot of froth in the market on the basis that there was a tax cut package that had gotten passed out of Washington. And we think the setup is a little bit similar right now. If you look at futures data, AAII retail investors, sentiment's gotten very frothy bottom-up valuations are about as expensive as we've seen. And a lot of that has been generated by excitement over the stimulus plan. Um, So we think that investors need to take a little bit of a beat. We do think the economic recovery will continue, but we do think we need to see further drivers. And really, frankly, we think that markets are going to start focusing on 2022 fairly soon. A lot of the good news from 2021 itself does seem baked in at this point.
2: So if that's the case, then, do investors and traders fall back on Pretty much what's been working for the past decade. That's mega cap technology. We we know we know it's taken a break for the past three months, but it seems as though in the early going of 2021, it's pretty much where investors go to. It seems to be the path of least resistance. Does that continue into 2022?
10: I think it does during the pullback period. So I think for 2021 as a whole, these reflation trades are going to work. Things like financials, energy, materials, those are areas that reliably tend to work when rising ex- inflation expectations are in place and valuations still look pretty good. But in the short term, or while a sort of concern in the market is building, I do think you'll see areas like technology, healthcare, um, really do some outperformance, um, just as people uh, want to stay invested in the market, um, but do so in a slightly more defensive way. And I do think one thing we have to consider about technology stocks is that the earnings outlook does seem pretty bright. Uh, Earnings always seem to come through for those companies. So while you've got sort of concern building on the virus front, um, uh, concern over some of these short-term economic wobbles, and you've got an earnings season where these numbers are probably going to be pretty good, it doesn't surprise me to see some price action like we've seen in recent days where the tech stocks shine a little bit again. But we do think that'll be short-term.
2: All right, let's bring in CNBC contributor Larry McDonald (laughs) to this conversation as well. Larry, you're the editor of something called the Bear Traps Report. Are you as optimistic about the 2021 market outlook as perhaps Lori is?
1: Hey, Dom. Uh, It's great to to talk to you. Um, We have an institutional chat uh, with buy side. uh, That means, you know, asset managers around the world. We have the largest institutional chat on the planet with uh, close to a thousand institutional investors. And the one sentiment reading that I see from them, especially this morning and last week, this classic, classic tug of war between growth and value investors, and every time we see a little pickup in COVID uh, globally, more so the U.S. has been, you know, better than the, the world over the last couple of weeks, that brings that capital back, as you just beautifully explained, into the, the Fangs and the stay-at-home stocks. But as we come out, and mark my words, as we come out of this. Covid fogs for the first quarter. You're talking about a crescendo, a life changing investment experience. There's just going to be a, a wall of capital leaving tech, leaving the banks, and moving into materials and inflation trade. So, I agree with your guest. I mean, you've got a short term inflation problem because of COVID uh, and vaccine execution. But at the end of the day, by the second quarter, we're going to be in a much different market market environment where the, the, the largest
2: rotation of our lives is coming. That's a big, big words there. Reflation <laughs> for sure there as well. Uh, Lori Calvacino, Larry McDonald, thank you both very much for being with us this morning. We appreciate your thoughts. Well, that does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Take a look at futures right now. The Nasdaq pointed to some very solid gains ahead of this very, very busy week of earnings season. Squawk Box is coming up next.
1: You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McKrispy, Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
0: of a detour.